So if you got here early enough, you saw the video that we played, and maybe you've, you've been journeying with us, you've seen it before. Uh, if not, and you didn't know what in the world that was, uh, that's the warehouse. If you drove in, you, you probably saw it, it's on your left, and um, we have been talking about the warehouse project, our name is Warehouse Community, and to new people, you're like, you guys aren't even in a warehouse, why are you calling yourselves Warehouse Community? Well, we hope to end up there, and uh, that is the goal, and that's where we're going to be, um, and just this past, uh, t- last month, we had um, two generous donations of $48,000 to go towards that project, and so we're in a challenge right now, the 48K challenge, hoping to match that $48,000 uh, from now till the end of January. So that video, what you saw, it's pretty much what it still looks like. Um, it is an empty space, um, but we are making progress. Uh, the floors are the first thing that are being done, um, and so that's actually happening soon. So we, you will now see some movement stuff happening there, so we're excited about that. They were just in there last week prepping the floors um, to begin that process, and then um, we, will, we will move forward into um, the next steps, which will be full-on construction. So we are excited about that. We are inviting you guys to journey along with us and whatever that looks like in your way of giving to that project. Um, but we hope to be there sometime next year. We wish we could give you guys a date for when that is, but we don't know. Um, but hopefully uh, the county will give us some direction here soon. Um, but that's what that video was about. And we are, we're just glad to be in a space where we can worship together, come together with the people that we know, maybe we don't know. If you came here with someone um, that you know, we invite you to make friends with someone that you don't. Um, I know I have run into people already um, today that I haven't seen in a long time, and so it's just good to see some familiar faces. I feel like I always have to give you guys a life update with my children because something always happens. And uh, just this past two weeks ago, Adeline fell in our garage. She was playing um, on my workout equipment and she fell and she hit her head on a stationary bike, hit the back of her head on on the peg of the bike. Um, And I had just told her to not play on there. And like two seconds later, she falls put my hand on the back of her head, and she's bleeding, and so we have to go to the ER, and she's terrified, Um, ends up having to get a staple in the back of her head, which was painful for me to even watch and hold her, but she was brave, and she's doing fine now, Um, so this month has been pretty hectic for uh, our family with that, and and just um, with, if you have children, you know how life can go, Um, but Hopefully, I will have none of that to talk about next time that I'm up here, and we hope for healthy, uh, healthy children. Today, however, we're going to spend some time uh, in Acts chapter 15, and, and if you have a Bible or your phone, you can open up to there. We're going to be on the back end in, in, in verse 36 through 40, but I want to start with this. All of us know that we have strengths when it comes to school. At least there's something that we're always... We're always good at. And I knew I had some strengths. I knew I had some weaknesses. And I remember taking the test, and I forgot what it was when you're in middle school, but there's a test that you take that shows you the things that you're strong in and you're not. And then obviously when you're in high school and you're going to graduate, you have to take the SAT and ACT and 
One of the things that I always scored really high on was writing. I was a really good writer. I don't know why, but that was just something that came, still comes pretty naturally to me. And the thing that I don't do well is test taking. I'm not, I don't prepare well. Um, I'm, I'm really bad at like multiple choice. So I start second guessing myself. If you put like A, B, and C, A, and C, I'm like, man, like just let me pick one. Uh, matching I don't like, but anytime a teacher would say, uh, you know, there's going to be an essay at the, at the end of the test, I loved that. Like that's where I knew that I was going to somehow word my way into getting a good grade. But if it was having to just do multiple choice and matching and all that kind of stuff, I did not do well at that at all. I didn't like to prepare. I just loved to write. And so when it came to writing classes and you gave me like a five-page paper, I'm like, awesome. I love this. I'll do it all day. I would even pick classes when I was in college that when I would look at their syllabus and it said the majority of the grade was an essay or a paper, I would choose those classes over a, a teacher who said, you know, 50% of your grade is, is a test. And I remember this specific teacher, his name was Dr. Pettibone. Any of you guys went to Southern and had Dr. Pettibone? I see, I see a few hands. Um, he was so hard. And he was not even a, a theology teacher. He was a history teacher. And uh, we had to take uh, church history from him. And I remember his, his class was pretty much based on book reports. And this wasn't a, a book report that you could pretty much, you know, read the back and write a report on it or kind of like skim your way through. He wanted to make sure you had a thesis statement. It had to be like well-written. And I remember that class being so challenging. And why I didn't like that class is because I had to make sure that I had to do something after I wrote the paper that I hated doing. And that was proofreading my paper. I would write all day, but I hated having to go back and proofread papers. And in, and in high school, we didn't get iPads and, and laptops like everyone had. My first computer was a, a compact Presario in freshman year. It was a desktop. And that was when I first got to actually type and type out my papers instead of having to write stuff out. And back then, spell check wasn't what it is now. Spell check just made sure that you could, you were, you didn't have any spelling errors um, in your in your paper and whatever you were writing. Now that they're gotten a little bit smarter, but even then, you have to go back and proofread your paper. And I hated having. To have to go back and look over my work and for several reasons. One is because it, it just took so long. I thought if I could just write my paper, I can go and play, I can go to basketball practice, I can do whatever I want to do, I just got to write my paper. Then I'll remember, ah, oh, I have to proofread this thing. I used to hate it. The other reason why I didn't like it is because I didn't like to go back and own up and see the mistakes that I'd made in my paper. Thoughts that weren't complete. Sentences that were incomplete, things that I would have to go back and change. I wanted to do it right the first time. And I hated having to go back to correct it. And in Dr. Pettibone's class, he would offer him his services to you. He said, you can bring your paper to me. And it was dreadful because you would, you would bring your paper and he would annihilate it. I mean, he would just, it would be marks all over the place. And people wouldn't go to him because they didn't want their paper to get all marked up. 
But if you went to him, you were pretty much guaranteed an A. I don't know if he's still teaching, but if he is, and you have a paper with him, take it to him, trust me. You'll have to face a lot of humility with him and, and, and the paper and correct a lot of stuff, but it's worth it. But I did not like doing that. I didn't like looking at my mistakes. Paul and Barnabas are journeying in the book of Acts. And we know it's not foreign. The idea isn't foreign. And we talked about this last month. In verse 36, and I'll, I'll read it quickly. We'll start in verse 15, verse 36. But in verse 36, 15, verse 36, it says, says this. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Paul says, let's go back to all of the places. And if you know what has, has happened, Jesus has left and, and they are now spreading the gospel. They're evangelizing. They're going from town to town, city to city, establishing who Jesus is, baptizing people in the name of Jesus, creating these communities, believers. And in chapter 14, they're now the first time we hear the word Christians. And they've been doing this for a long period of time, and they're not going to go back to all of them. Now, if you think like me, or, or you want to be efficient with your time, and you're trying to get something done, you think that that is a waste of time. Last month, if you were here, we talked a little deeper into this. But we know that in a community, as a Christ follower, there's value in the follow-up. There's value in living life in reverse. The commitment that you've made to one another, it doesn't end in the, in the initial interaction. So he says, let's go back. Let, let's go see how they're doing. Let's go see the health of these communities that we, we started. And let's see if we made any mistakes. Let's see if they're flourishing. Let's see if there are new believers, if we've established, if we did our job correctly. And if not, let's correct those mistakes. So instead of continuing to move forward, they go back to the towns, the places, the people who have given their lives to Jesus to see if they're still on fire, if the Holy Spirit is still moving in those places, in those communities. It wasn't simply that they had preached in these towns, and that was a big part of what they had done. But in the midst of going and moving from town to town, as good leaders, they established good leadership. They appointed specific people to be in charge. They established this community of believers, and they would put someone to make sure that the work they had done would just not end there, but it would continue so not only were they going to look at the health of the community, but they were also going to follow up with leaders that they had appointed. And these leaders, as we know, Paul and Barnabas and, and others who were establishing these communities, this was done over an intense time of prayer and fasting, and they would specifically pick individuals, but this was their doing. God led their words and their, and their, their, their preaching and their teaching but it was up to them to appoint leaders. So there is room for error. 
So they were not only going to go look at their communities, but also their leadership. And for sake of illustration, in a sense, they were setting up franchises. They were setting up these communities. And I know it's more than that, but a lot of them operated on their own. And it was up to them to see and make sure that they were healthy. It was their responsibility. Hence why Paul says, let's go back to all of the towns and make sure that they're doing well. So one could argue that for Paul and Barnabas, this was going to be the most important piece of their journey. This right here was a moment for them to assess themselves, to see how good of a job they'd done. What you leave behind as a leader is very telling of how you function as a leader. This was going to be the most important part of their journey. In a sense, they're about to see how well they've done. Their initial attempt in establishing these towns, and although we know that it's God's work, there was a human part to this. Decisions that they had to make on their own. For some reason in Scripture, and, and this is, applies to, I believe, our lives today, the follow-up always seems to be just as or more crucial than the initial interaction. The follow-up in any relationship always seems to be more important than the initial interaction. We know this two reasons. I know this for two reasons. One is baptism. We've talked about the idea of baptism and what that looks like. And we have somehow decided that once someone is baptized, they're good to go. We baptize them, we get them, and we think that they're going to be all set. They're going to be taken care of. When in fact, that's when they need the follow-up the most. The follow-up is more important than the initial interaction in any relationship. Today, we are having a baptism that's happening at the other church. Some of you guys know Kirschlin. Um, she's getting baptized today, and we celebrate that. But we know that that journey is just beginning for her. And so it is, I've taken it upon myself, and we have to journey with her. And she has a community that is going to do that with her. But I can't tell you the amount of people who have gone through baptismal class, gotten baptized, and then they completely get deserted, abandoned, thinking that they're fine now. Crisis. I used to work at a hospital and I was a chaplain and I used to work for hospice. And that was, that was a really difficult time working through those families who had just lost someone. And my assumption, just like many was we were there, a patient would, would pass and we were there for the family until the funeral, and I thought our work ended there. When in fact, hospice care commits a whole year of counseling and journeying with families up until the anniversary of their loved one's passing. Because that's important. The initial interaction is meaningful, but people need to be followed up with. We were not meant to just encounter each other once, 
commit to this community and move on. But the follow-up, the journey, that's where the value is. That's where Jesus is most real. So this is what they are attempting to do. And this is the most important piece of their journey, of their calling, their responsibility. So in classic form, knowing how valuable this is, the return, the second arrival to these places doesn't go as smoothly as we'd hope. Satan begins to do his most impressive, what he would say, work in this moment. He begins to cause disruption between two God-fearing men who have been journeying together. Satan begins to cause disruption. This is only after a specific time had passed, but what we know is that community is important in Christ. But what is also important is the time that you spend with God alone. Satan begins to cause division between Paul and Barnabas. Community, person, or pastor dependency is not what God calls us into. Instead, it is a tension that we're called to live in. You see, these communities weren't supposed to rely on these two men. And these two men knew that their reliance wasn't upon each other. But now there is a tension beginning to happen. Something is going on with both of them where there is a disagreement. But in this return, this, this chapter 15 tells us that there is a time that has passed. They weren't just at these communities. There has been time established. Years of growing and now it is their time to return. And all they're going to do there is to see how the communities are doing. To fix what's broken, but not for the communities to become dependent on these two individuals. That was not their calling. And our job as a community, when we journey together, it is our commitment to journey with one another. It is the pastoral staff's community to journey with you guys. And we're going to talk a little bit about that here soon. But it is our, it's not our job to spoon feed each other into eternity. That is not what we've been called to do as Christians, as people of God, as Jesus followers, as Forest Lake Church, as Warehouse Community. Now, there may be a time and a place where we are holding the hand of, of one, of another, of each other, and getting through. But we were never meant to live in a serve me mentality. Where we don't function, we don't live our spiritual life unless someone is continually holding our hands. There's time and a place. Paul and Barnabas knew that, and they let these communities flourish and grow, but they also came back. I'll never forget one of my seminary professors. He told us this story, and this is he was telling us a story when he was a pastor. And he and he he told us about this woman. They had they had gone through an evangelistic series. And there was this older lady who given her life to Christ. And she had an issue. Her struggle was she was just couldn't get, she couldn't stop smoking. 
She had a heavy addiction to, to cigarettes, and she wanted to give that up. God had convicted her of that, and she knew that she needed to, to do that. And, and so this pastor was journeying with her, and he said, you have my number. Whenever you need prayer, you need to talk to someone, you can call me. So one night he gets a call, and it's, it's the lady saying, I, I'm really struggling with this. I need you to pray for me. So as a good pastor, he prays for her over the phone. Weeks go by and the calls become more frequent. And understand, this is a new, it's a person who had never been to church, had just given her life over to Christ, and, and prayer was a foreign thought to her. But the calls keep getting more and more frequent. And so after a, a month of this happening, or two months, I can't remember, he gets a call at two in the morning, and that wasn't, an odd thing. She would call at the most random times and he'd pick up the phone and he would talk to her and she said, I, I'm having one of my, you know, urges to start smoking again. Can you pray for me? And so she's assuming this is what's going to happen as usual. She's, he's going to pray for me. And he says, why don't you pray? And she's like, you want, you want me to pray? He's like, yeah, I think you, you, you can do it. And she's like, I don't even know how to begin. And he said, you've, you've heard me pray a lot. I've prayed for you, and I want you to pray for yourself. But this woman did not know how to pray for herself. So there was this dependency upon this pastor that whenever she needed prayer, she would go to him. And in this season of this woman's life, at the age of 80-something, she was being discipled. She was being taught how to do something. She was being equipped by this pastor over this phone call. And so he walked her through the prayer together. They prayed. And a sense of nervousness and relief came over this woman. And slowly the phone calls became less and less. Until she came up to him one day at church and she says, Not only am I praying for myself, but I'm praying for others. Because this pastor equipped her. He was there for her for a season but he knew that spoon-feeding her into eternity was not what we were called to do. Instead, he showed her how to pray and equipped her. And that is our call, our duty as Christians. The people that you are sitting with, that you're journeying with, a lot of you are journeying together in home churches. You come and worship together. Your obligation in that relationship to one another, the commitment that you've made to God and to this community is to journey with, to grow together. And that just doesn't mean holding each other's hands, but teaching each other, equipping each other. When people aren't looking, when you're on your own, that you are able to walk with God, to journey with him, to seek him out for yourself. And so that's what these communities, this was the hope for Paul and Barnabas, that they had learned to do that. And there is a time and a place, like I said, perhaps where you can call it spoon feeding one another, but we were never meant to live and remain there. If our goal is simply to get people through the doors with no commitment to refine, to tighten up, and we're doing it wrong. If we come to church with the mentality of what does it have to give to me 
What does it offer me? Is it to my liking? Is the music the way I like it? Is the preaching the way I like it? Is it close to my house? Is it convenient for me? If that is our motivation, then we're doing it wrong. The ultimate goal is that we become equipped through community with one another in Scripture so that we know how to function as a Christ follower on our own because that's when true growth happens. A church in action equips one another. And this is true in many areas of life, and I knew it was for me. If you know known me for a long time, you know that I'm a mama's boy. My sister is 11 years older than me. I was, I was raised pretty much an only child because when I was in fifth grade, she moved out to live her life. And so after that, it was just me. And I loved it. I got everything I wanted. I know. I admit it. My parents spoiled me. I don't, I don't, uh, I don't shame away from that, shy away from that. And I remember going off to college, and I remember it being really hard for me to leave, to go out of state, because... I was so attached to my parents, to what was convenient for me. But when I went off to college in that first year, it was, it was super difficult. I made a commitment to never ask my parents for money, to figure it out. And so I started cutting hair in my dorm room, made money like that. That's how I could take Vanessa, who's now my wife, out on dates I charged $5 a haircut, figured it out how to pretty much earn my own way through. And they still gave me money. I didn't ask for it. But whenever my dad would come up and visit or my mom, they'd come together, they would, they would give me money. But those years were transformative because I was on my own. I had to figure out how to live life without a dependency on anything. And it's in those moments in our walk with God in our life, in the moments where it's up to us for growth, those are the most important moments in your walk with God. What do you do on your own time when a church, a building isn't there for you, when you're at work, when you're journeying on your own, where there may be no accountability, are you taking those steps for growth in Jesus. This was the hope. So Satan begins to cause division between Paul and Barnabas as they're, they're journeying. And Paul has an issue with John Mark. He says, I don't want to bring John Mark with us because in the moments where we needed him the most, he wasn't there. In the moments where we were Going from city to city, he decided to stay. And it was just up to us. And Barnabas wants to bring John Mark along on the way back. He's like, I don't want him. So Paul and Barnabas have a disagreement and they split. Barnabas takes John Mark and Paul goes on his own. We're nearing the end of a full year of what we call warehouse community. We started we meeting here last January, and I only bring this up because we won't meet again here until January. Next week, we have Table Sabbath, and the week after is, is Christmas Eve, so we've almost been here 
a year. Before that, it was upper room. But I cannot even begin to tell you the, the stories that have come from all of you, the journeying that we've been doing with some of you. And as I was writing this sermon, reflecting on what this year looked like for us, I made a list of things that we have been journeying with people individually, whether they're here or not. Here are some of the things. Financial hardship. Infertility. Loss. Depression. Anxiety. Marital problems. Disowned by family. Suicide. Life-threatening diagnosis. This isn't a list that I just came up with. These are actual conversations and people that are going through real life pain and situations. Just in this past year, we believe that Satan's trying to do his greatest work right here, right now. Because he knows that Warehouse Community, Forest Lake Church is a force that it is destined that God's called it to do great things and he's doing whatever he can to cause disruption and division. So Paul and Barnabas have a disagreement. One that would be pretty big. It would draw a wedge in between them. And John Mark, Paul says, John Mark does not deserve to journey with us. He didn't deserve to be in the same group associated with us because he left us. He abandoned us. Paul, in this moment, forgets that the position he's been put in, the role that he's been given, he didn't deserve. He didn't earn it. God graciously put him in that role, and Paul loses sight of what it looks like that even if someone doesn't deserve something, to give it to them anyway. So they split. Division. They go on their way. And what is interesting is that when you read at the end of this chapter, they ended well. Both took separate journeys, but they ended well. They accomplished their call to Christ. They finished their work. Barnabas with John Mark Paul on his own, and there was probably some others who were with Paul. But in the midst of their disruption and their division, they accomplished their goal. Paul not thinking that John Mark was deserving of it. Barnabas bringing him in to finish the work. But despite our brokenness, our lapse of judgment, God still manages to do what he needs to do. That doesn't mean we quit trying. Philippians 3, 13 and 14 says, I haven't taken hold of it, but one thing that I do is forget what's behind and strain towards what is ahead. Just because God's going to do what he's going to do doesn't mean we don't do our part. He's going to accomplish his mission. And we're going to try our best. 
And we're going to remain faithful and true. And we're going to have disagreements and opposition. And Satan's going to do his best to disrupt the amazing things that have come out of this building, this space, out of you all. Because he knows that this place, you, us, Warehouse, Forest Lake, is going, is already doing, and is going to do great things for him. Here's a question for you. What do we do when someone disagrees with us? What do you do when someone disagrees with you? That's a pretty relevant question in the time that we're living in. Because in, it's, we live in a world that seems to highlight opposition over everything. Everything is choose a side. If you disagree with me, you're not on my side. To the point where we have almost programmed to think that if someone opposes my ideology, they must be my enemy. Because they don't think the way I do, they hate me. Or I hate them. That is how toxic things have become in our world because someone thinks differently than me we're going to hate each other that's not always the case Paul and Barnabas had a disagreement but they accomplished their mission they had opposing ideas and thoughts and they were pretty passionate about it the original language shows some pretty intense conversation that's had between the two but they agree that that was not what was most important. The most important thing was their call to Christ. Has someone let you down? Have they abandoned you when you needed them most? Like Paul felt, John Mark did. He wasn't putting in the time, the daily efforts to continue to advance the kingdom of heaven. Has that become a distraction? Has that gotten in the way of what you are called to do? Maybe you're thinking of someone who has abandoned you, left you, and that you've left out in the cold. My challenge is you reconcile that. Maybe you have a disagreement with someone, an opposition. Maybe you were a keyboard warrior got on Facebook and had a 10-page back and forth with someone and you guys don't talk to each other. Reconcile that. When you realize that your call to Jesus is more important than anything else, that is when you fulfill your purpose. Regardless of Paul and Barnabas and their disagreements, they stay true to their calling. Because that is what was, was most important to them. The result of letting those things take over is distraction, is disruption. It is what Satan wants to have to happen in our churches, in our relationships, in our communities, to cause chaos, to put people on one side and others on the other side and not work together. Because the church that is together is a church that has force, that spreads the gospel, that lives the gospel. If we learned anything about the disagreement that they had, Paul and Barnabas, 
is we know that it did not steer them away from their mission. And I said this last month, and I'll say it again. The reason is because Jesus was their center point. Last month, if you were here, you heard this, and I'll say it again, but this, this author said, we all have center points. For some of us, it's our work, it's money, it's our hobbies, it's sports, it's athletic prowess, whatever it is. And Jesus is just the hobby. Church is just the hobby that if we have time for it, we'll go, we'll be a part of it. We'll be in the community with one another. But if not, it's too bad. I really enjoy it. I just don't have time. But the challenge is to make Jesus your center point where opposition, disagreements don't get in the way of loving one another, of loving your community, loving your family, of being more and more like Jesus. Feeling abandoned does not get in the way of your calling Christ. And if that's you, my challenge is to step up, make Jesus that focal point in your life. And maybe you've been coming here all year long. Maybe you haven't been a part of serving, being a part of this community, and, and you've, got, you've let things get in the way of that. Whether that's work, the busyness, not making time, but the challenge for you guys today is to make Jesus the center. No matter what disagreements you may have with anyone up here, anyone in this congregation, because your allegiance is to one man, one Savior, one God, and that's Jesus. So we challenge you. Isaiah said it this morning in welcoming, I want to serve to 94,000. We're embarking in a new year. We would love to journey with you, to circle back, to follow up, to journey with. And maybe you're at the point where you need a hand held, and we're here to do that for you. We would love for this to be a place that you call home, that you connect with, that you serve. If you text this number, we'll reach out to you and we'll figure out how, when and where to meet, to get you plugged in, involved. Maybe you're a Paul and maybe you're a Barnabas. I don't know which one you are, but know that you're on a journey, that Jesus has called you to a journey. Part of that is serving with him, with your community. So my prayer today is that no matter what opposition you face, what disagreements you have with one another, with a loved one, maybe you felt abandoned by a church. Maybe the church was the Paul who felt that you weren't deserving and so they kicked you out. May your calling to Christ be bigger than that. May Warehouse be a place that welcomes you regardless. May you make Jesus the center of your life. May you make a commitment to serve him and serve this community.
no matter what, in the midst of our shortcomings, in the midst of us having those disagreements with one another and falling short, we struggle with anger, addiction, Jesus is faithful. We can always come back to that. You've never gone too far. His faithfulness is greater than any distance you've put in between you and him. May you take this challenge. Text, I want to serve to 94,000. Take that next step. Our commitment is to hold your hand through this journey to figure out where God has called you to be. And may Jesus be the center of everything that you do.